0: Early morning rank cast record, so we're both a bit groggy. You're in Barcelona once again, your annual scouting trip, which keeps not paying off as every year Messi fails to turn up at Man United in the following summer.
1: Well, he's, he's never any good, mate. It's just, just coincidence, I think. Uh, plus, Barcelona playing away at Granada yesterday. Oh, okay. Well, and then they were in Manchester the week before. It's very bad timing. <laughs> v- very bad, very bad. I suppose <laughs> I could go to see Espanyol,
0: but no one goes to see Espanyol. <laughs> Yes, although I am slightly concerned that if we did sign Leo Messi, he'd turn up and be like, okay ish Not because of any ridiculous, fanciful notion that Leo Messi couldn't cut it in the Premier League, but simply because there are no lengths to which Manchester United will not go to ruin a player. (laughs) Yeah, apparently so. Well, so confession first, I I was not able to see
1: the full game. Um, I've caught the highlights I could. United created lots of chances against Sunderland. Unfortunately, I was stuck in a meeting all day, watching on Twitter and text. And I I, I was planning to stream the game live during the meeting, but unfortunately the Wi-Fi didn't hold up. (laughs) Priorities, mate.
0: Isn't that also frowned upon in the professional community in general? Something like that, but hey. It's United. Yeah, that's true. You didn't really miss that much, to be honest. The first half was classic Manchester United at home this season. So absolutely tons and tons and tons of possession and loads of uh, just horizontal passing in the final third. I have a kind of slight pet theory about this, which is that, that, let's say Tiki Taka as a shorthand, But meaning not just like the passing, but the overall kind of structural style, which is about drawing players out of position by stretching the possession and keeping possession of the ball and forcing defenders to break their shape and all that kind of stuff. And then taking advantage of the spaces created by that process. The problem comes when you don't take advantage of the spaces you create. And that's why United was so frustrating to watch in the first half, because they... They did all that bit perfectly well until the final ball, the final pass, the final shot every single time. And because it's so long, the build up before that opening gets worked, it becomes ever more frustrating when Angel Di Maria gets the ball and falls over or whatever. He was absolutely shocking in that first half. And it was very interesting and very kind of, I don't know, the Louis van Gaal we all sort of expected to rock up at United, who doesn't seem to have fully come to the fore yet, to just whip him off at half-time and stick Adnan Yanezai on instead. Unless Di Maria picked up some sort of knock or something, that's a very, very bold managerial decision. And it paid off in in spades because Yanezai was fantastic in the second half and United looked about a million times better as a consequence.
1: Right, yeah, that seems to be the consensus uh, from the game that... um... Yanazai's has had one of his best games for a long time, praised by Louis van Gaal after the game as well. So said he had a terrific impact. Um, so, look, looking at the stats, I see United had 74% possession, which is a bit nuts. Um, and, in fact, that was the case at half-time as well, so not entirely explained by the red card. And one thing we've been critical about United in recent games is uh, they just haven't you know, created enough chances, or enough good chances, and than uh, 30 shots on goal. Is that the kind of game it was? United dominated and, uh, bar for heroics from the keeper, uh, would have scored
0: more? Mm, I don't know. I don't think he had too many heroics. I, I I would be interested to know what the chance numbers were in the first half because, instinctively, I feel like they must be a lot less than half of the chances came in the first half. And quite a lot of those shots were just Yanazai desperately trying to get on the score sheet and Dimaria, Maria. But... Um, you know Rooney was moved further forward and and last week you said you'd like to see United play in a 4231 and you speculated that Louis van Gaal listens to the podcast and those two things both seem to be true because uh, he did change United to a 4231 with Rooney playing just behind Falcao and well i mean in theory although Falcao was having to come very deep to get the ball again in the first half the second half was just more of an out and out for 231 with Rooney dropping off Falcao you could even say it's an old fashioned four-four-two, really, because Rooney wasn't playing that deep, you know. But anyway, those debates aside, it wasn't like United peppered Sunderland's goal, even though that 30 shots makes it sound like they did. That wasn't the experience of watching it. As I say, certainly not first half. In, in periods in that first half, it was like watching a very rubbish version of Barcelona against Inter in whatever year it was, <laughs> when Inter just totally part of the bus two lines of right. players and, and just made barcelona pass. So
1: I mentioned uh, Ander Herrera at the beginning of the show there. Uh, it's um, we don't even need to talk about the surprise that is Herrera starting anymore, do we? He's a, he's a regular fixture in the side. Uh, but it appears that Louis van Gaal is only able to have one spanish midfielder in the team at any one time. Juan matter hasn't started the Premier League game for quite some time, but you know, them's the rules, right? Louis doesn't make them or, or does he? <laughs>
0: Well, I don't know why you would have played Matter in that game unless you were going to drop Rooney or Falcao. So that's you know, I, I think Herrera does that deeper. That line sounds job. like a good
1: idea to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and and you know the one the one point at which I think the game was crying out for matter. So, so Falcao was not bad in this game, and he was absolutely brilliant for winning the penalty when agent O'Shea and agent Brown fought over the right to concede the penalty at Old Trafford. Um, and uh, the referee sent off the wrong one of them. I have to say, with all due respect to uh, beloved Chaisy, uh I would rather Wes Brown was accidentally sent off than John O'Shea was properly sent off because I, I think uh, that cost Sunderland a lot more, uh, losing Brown than, than necessarily losing Johnny would have done. But yeah, so Falcao did brilliantly for that. Just before that happened, it was about the 60-minute mark and um, old Louis was readying plan B and he wasn't messing about. There he was, old plan B on the touchline warming up. Um, and once Falcao did that thing and Rooney very well executed his penalty, I kind of thought, oh, brilliant, plan B's not going to happen. Uh, but it did, nonetheless, even though we went 1-0 up against 10 men, he still brought on Fellaini. And that was the time to bring on matter for Falcao, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. So it seems that Lou Van
1: Gaal actually likes to use Fellaini in two ways. One, one is to launch it. Uh, and uh, get get the toilet brush on, on the ball in the final third and help create chances off the second ball. Uh, you know, all very agricultural. And the other is actually to hold the ball up in uh, higher areas of the pitch. Um, although, uh, I, I would say, not having seen the game, looking at the stats, United getting 75% possession and an awful lot of territorial possession as well. Not quite the game that you need to do the latter.
0: Well, this is the thing. and And once they've gone down to 10 men... I don't know, you don't really... I think Mata then has more space to work in and more space to unlock passes and stuff. And I don't know, it felt a bit like, you know, I I went on a long rant last week about how Van Gogh is many things, but stubborn is not one of them. But it did feel a a little bit on the kind of, um, this was my plan, nothing's changed. My plan was going to work before, now my plan's still going to work. And to be fair, once Sunderland had gone down to 10 men, it just wasn't a contest anymore. The, The other thing about the first half is we once again looked horrifically shaky defensively. There was stuff on the UWS forums before the game just you know, a couple of hours before the game, which got the suggested lineup quite accurate because it came out that Jones and Shaw were both going to be unavailable. And that, that gives you that kind of slight bad feeling in your tummy that Johnny Evans and Chris Morning are going to play. But I think Chris Morning really grew into that game. Uh, Johnny Evans less so, although he his distribution as the game grew seemed to slightly improve. But in the first half, he was essentially booed for passing the ball back to David De Gea a couple of times. So... Yeah, Tweedle D and Tweedle I do not I don't, I don't, it, it, I don't think that's fair on Smalling. Really, I'm not sure that he belongs in the same category based on his performances this season. I don't know. No, actually,
1: Smalling's not been so bad. Um, but you know, it's it's all uh, comparative to what came before. And Vidic and Ferdinand were the best central defensive partnership in Europe for five years. And Johnny Evans and Chris Smalling are never going to be the best central defensive partnership in Manchester, or or in fact. In Old Trafford <laughs> <laughs> uh, over the next five years, and it's um, and that, so you know that's that's the relative
0: standards that they have to meet and haven't and probably won't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's entirely fair enough. The partnership of Blint and Herrera worked extremely well, although it's kind of hard to measure given given Sunderland's relative lack of ambition in this game but it wasn't like I don't know the, the two games QPR and one other that I can't think of where there was just basically essentially no opposition this wasn't quite like that because you know Sunderland have got Lee Catamol in midfield so they're always going to be combative aren't they and, and both Blunt Herrera put some tackles in as well. But yeah, they made out over 100 passes each. Their, their combined successful pass total was higher than Sunderland's total successful pass total. So when I say it was like watching Rubbish Barcelona against Rubbish Inter, that was sort of measured out by the stats as well. Um, Rooney... Uh, got a lot of praise and a lot of like, oh yeah, he scored two goals. There you go. It's proof he should be the one that's playing up front. And, and I can kind of see that argument worth saying that he was only actually really very good once Falcao had gone off and Rooney was moved up to nine because so in the, in the 68 minutes before the substitution, he created one chance, uh, had two shots on goal. And then after the substitution, well, if you kind of assume that including the penalty, because the sub happened immediately after the penalty, he scored both goals, created two chances in 18 minutes and stopped trying to just be part of that kind of parade of possession outside the area. And, you know, this is this is the thing. He was not bad at 10, but nor was he particularly great. But he was very good at 9 because he's Wayne Rooney.
1: Yeah, well, so Louis is clearly listening. And so you, you've taken one step, Louis. You've, you've got Ander Herrera in there be interesting when Carrick comes back whether you can slot him inside alongside uh, Herrera and Blint to the bench and and then the one change that he needs to make now given the personnel we've got and the way they're playing is to uh, get Massa in the side for Falcao and move Rooney up top and then you've actually got a pretty effective side and and then Young's form is such that he can play or Yanazai or Di Maria, you pick two from three there and you might actually have a side that's going to create enough chances and score enough goals in what is going to be a very tough run over the next two months uh, to get United into the top four. Because despite that win yesterday, I have to say, I still only put it at about fifty-fifty that United will make that top four.
0: Well, that's what all the numbers say, right? If you look at the kind of expected goals and all that deep statistical breakdown, it all has United at around 50% to get a top four spot with Arsenal at like 80% or something and everyone else between them.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, there's, there's a range on this. So, so there's three or four guys who do a, a lot of statistical analysis and uh, different models actually, but... Um uh, but yeah, there's a range between forty point something and uh, sixty-eight point right, something Right, right, right. <laughs> anyway, like none of this actually means anything. It's it's people using statistical models to make a prediction for where United are. Oh, my hunch says about fifty-fifty, <laughs> uh, and uh, which I think is about fifty percent, isn't it? Science in, in the Ed model. <laughs> um, so it's. Uh, it, I know I shouldn't. I shouldn't laugh. I. Uh, I, I do have a a degree of the shit, don't I? <laughs> I so, do. um, anyway um so i i think you know given look look at the fixture list look at the comparative fixture list of uh, liverpool have actually got quite a tough run as well but tottenham spurs as well and arsenal um and you wouldn't say of those united you know, are necessarily the team in the best form um although you know what is that two defeats in 21 matches or two defeats in seven matches if you want to be mean. So it's, uh, I, I'm not sure United are going into this run in the best form of, of all those teams and have, if not the toughest fixture list, then pretty damn close to it. And so all those factors uh, add up to it not being cut and dried for sure.
0: The flip side of it, I, I totally agree with all that, the flip side of it is that United have the biggest gap between where they're playing and their kind of ceiling of potential. Because I, I think all those other teams are currently in a in form, which is well apart from Arsenal's lolltastic Champions League performance, they're all playing at basically where you'd expect them to be playing if they were playing well. But United have kind of not really been playing well, and the games we've done best in and looked best in this season have been the games against the bigger sides. Now I'm not banking too much on that because I, I, relying on that would be crazy because you you need to keep yourself informed, right to to face those bigger sides but you know our our best run of the season featured games against Chelsea and Liverpool and Arsenal and that's what's coming next so you know it's not cut and dried that we are well as you say 50-50 seems about right to me because because I think it would be excessively negative to say that we are on course to miss out and i think it would be excessively optimistic to say that we are in any kind of certain course to uh, to qualify so yeah Analysis there for you, I quite enjoyed the Sunderland game. I have to say the first half was a bit frustrating, uh, just slightly dull, obviously, but we 've got to deal with that. The second half was not dull at all though the second half was really quite bombastic and fun um, and and it was really nice to see han's eye looking confident. he still needs to be quicker to pass and and less hungry to shoot. but I remember a certain other young player fond of a step over who we could have said that about once upon a time.
1: Well, yeah, but Phil Neville didn't really go on to great things either. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, so uh, I don't know. I, I, it was really nice to see that. Di Maria, though, this is becoming a really big problem. In in classic article on the internet fashion, I was asked to look at whether he was living up to his price tag about 10 days ago. And of course, I said he he wasn't, but realistically that doesn't mean he isn't going to because his price tag wasn't just about this season right but but he was like just dirt poor in that game it was it was really really worrying to see how bad he was well and as he has been for for weeks really let's be honest he hasn't
1: actually put in a good performance I thought
0: he was good against Burnley uh, I thought he was United's best player against Burnley but that was the...
1: pretty pretty good against Burnley um but there's been so few performances uh, that you'd expect from that kind of quality of player and we were singing his praises early in the season weren't we First five games for United were were terrific, and then he's had a few injury problems. He's had some settling into the country problems. He's had some people burgling his house problems. <laughs> Rumors that he's regressing joining United and would like to head back to sunnier climes of Spain, and and all of that, right? You know, so I, I think some of that's fair enough. Some of it, it's difficult for a, a player to adjust. He's he's you know, barely speaks any English uh, into the Premier League for the first time. He's a touch player. There's no doubt that the Premier League is more physical than uh, La Liga. It's not just an empty cliche, um, and he's having some some tough time adjusting to that. Hopefully, it's not when Sebastian Veron mark too. You know, very different players, of course, but uh, uh, you know, he's he's such a high quality player that it's got to come good at some point.
0: He's got to. Yeah, I mean, as well as moving from Madrid to Manchester in the physical sense, which is a big shift of culture. Moving from Real Madrid to Manchester United right now is a huge backward step in terms of the quality of the team because like the Madrid side that he was playing for could all keep up with him and there's like three players in the United squad that can keep up with him and I do think that is a big problem and I do think that must be a little part of why he's because it because it becomes a vicious cycle doesn't it you you're playing in a team which doesn't really suit you you've been shifted out of position all over the place and your teammates can't keep up with you in the 50-yard dash and then apart from Ashley Young and one other um and then your touch goes then your set pieces start to get worse because your confidence is ebbing away and all that kind of stuff and and you know as as you say I hope hope it isn't Varon and and that it's first season problems and that he's going to adjust to the league and United will improve and etc. cetera, et cetera. And he'll be a really important part of Van Gaal's five year stay at Man United. He said in the mirror today that he, uh, he's fallen in love with the club and wants to stay for five years. I would be all right with that. I'm sure there are people who would be less all right with that. So I've, I've slightly fallen in love with him. I have to admit the
1: knives have certainly sharpened over recent weeks. So. Um, And and not just because of uh, results being mixed, but um, obviously the the style of play. So uh, at some point, he'll quicken up United's style of play and United will play in a more attacking, vibrant sense. Every team he's ever managed has done that, right? So it will happen at some point when he feels confident enough that he's got the balance right. Interesting that United played as much down the left as the right Um, against Sunderland so there you go Louis you had some balance at last
0: (laughs) yeah well I have to say that that Ashley Young was definitely United's best player for over 90 minutes in that game like definitely Rooney was pretty good for the 20 minute period when he was playing up front and was good for 45 minutes but but old Youngy, just superb like I don't know I love that kid so happy that he's had a a kind of burst of form. Yeah, well, he's
1: going to earn himself a new contract, and then he'll uh, go back to the young of old.
0: <laughs> I don't think that's true because I, I don't think he's ever not been trying. I think I think he's actually benefiting from Van Gaal's coaching, unlike De Maria and Falcao. Although a word for Falcao, like his. Have you seen? Did you see how he won the penalty? Yeah, yeah, no, ter- terrific
1: piece of um, movement and and you know burst of speed over a uh, short distance. So. I don't think one piece of evidence will point to much, right? You know, he's got four goals this season and barely any assists and uh, a a string of dog-poor performances, so... um let's see if he's uh, terrific in the next game as well as the one after that
0: i might start believing oh i just want it to happen <laughs> don't think it's gonna should we do some twitter questions before we look at newcastle and then arsenal all righty all right this is kind of an interesting question from at greg silent he says what do you think are lvg's biggest challenges at the moment uh, himself <laughs> well so- look, obviously we've we've spoken about some of
1: the uh, inherent challenges in the team so um, he wants a ball playing centre back he he wants a ball playing centre back who can actually defend and not make a mistake every game and one of some experience and he probably needs right back as well because he clearly doesn't trust Rafael and Valencia is no kind of right back and he's a combative central midfielder um so he's having to compensate for that and we're talking about challenges here not just the transfer market Uh, and then uh, he needs to be able to compensate for the lack of pace up front so you know three fundamental problems there.
0: I I think this is what it is i I think that essentially if you boil it down it's about balance in more ways than one it's about balance in terms of the team but it's also about balance in terms of compensating for what's missing whilst making the best of what there is and that's the balance that he's not really got right i think he's done very well in compensating for what's missing and the thing that suffered has been getting the best out of what's there at MUFC, Colin says, what colour is the rest of Falcao's football career? It's red and gold, because he's going to win loads and loads and loads of trophies and medals wearing the red shirt of Manchester United. Actually, it's probably white and gold, because he's going to do that with uh, Real Madrid.
1: Well, no, I don't I don't think he'll be uh, taking up the job at Real Madrid any time soon. But, uh, more likely to be, you know, silver, since that's the Premier League trophy colour, just to be...
0: I I meant medals. The medals are gold, right? Mm. Anyway. Uh, At Jonathan Schrager says, could we start to perform better if LVG switches from playing with a philosophy to an ethos? I've no idea,
1: mate. I mean, I'm sure that sounded good when you you sent it in, but uh, uh, I don't know.
0: What's the difference between a philosophy and an ethos? I think it was a joke. Dead. I think it was a joke I know it's early in the morning but <laughs> I know <laughs> okay um, right uh, are we right to assume says at Denton, underscore that Raphael's United Days are numbered uh, surely 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 yes he's either not being selected or he's not fit and either way Van Gaal's going to be fed up with him, right?
1: Yeah, uh, he's off in the summer.
0: Uh, I'd expect the United will spend some money in bringing a right-back. Um, at Jazifer says, is this stifling of intuitive football players making players reluctant or afraid to take shots or just have a bloody go? And I, I think actually the Sunderland game sort of slightly refuted some of that because as you say, 30 shots on target, loads and loads of players uh, getting a ball and running with it. And lots of people trying to unpick Sunderland's like very deep-lying defence. And I, I thought there was, there was quite a lot of, um, what's the word, sort of boldness in some of United's play. Again, particularly in the second half. But actually, even in the first half, Di Maria played poorly, but he did not look unafraid to try things. It's just nothing he was trying was coming off. Um, at bifurcated underscore United friend of the podcast says how would you describe the colour of Captain Wayne Rooney's hair? Brown ish? Yeah a sort of slightly reddy brown the problem with Wayne Rooney's hair is not the colour it's the texture which yeah because obviously it's pubes so yeah yeah. Steve, Steve Austin told him to embrace the baldness and that's what he should do (laughs) <laughs> at phil Gat says have we even had breakfast yet meaning the two of us i've had a cup of tea and some water have you had breakfast yet
1: no i shall
0: be tucking into some uh, joyous hotel breakfast after this <laughs> um, is the hashtag philosophy to sell united players to all potential future opponents no, it's not. Just, there was just one. I have to say, I have to say this. And I know it's kind of obvious that I was going to say this at some point in the season, but we really missed Danny Welbeck this season. Like, he would have been so helpful to deal with this kind of problem of lack of pace up front and lack of invention up front. Okay, he wouldn't have been good at dealing with the we haven't got a twenty-goal-a-season striker problem that Van Gaal's talked about, but so much other stuff would have been eased by having Welbeck around.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean he scored seven goals for Arsenal this season. He's done all right. Um, he, he had a, a short injury problem, didn't he? But um, I'm not sure that Welbeck would have changed too much. He'd have he'd have given United pace, and, and United have desperately needed pace at times this season, but. Uh, I'm not sure... Link-up play too. Link-up play, but I don't think... Look, I don't think... Well, but it's destined
0: to become uh, a very top player and that's uh, clearly what United need. OK. Uh, Anton Alfie says, I followed your advice and saw United win versus Leicester. Any other life advice? Yeah, you know, look after your friends and family. Be nice to people in general. Perform unsolicited act of kindness from time to time. All that sort of good stuff. All sounds sound. Yeah. 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 Try not to drink yourself silly. In general, you know, have a good sing song about scousers now and again. <laughs> um, how do you solve a problem like Dimaria? Maria? Says at Mary C U N T. Uh, persevere, rest, or drop. Uh, I think you've got to persevere, haven't you? Because there's too much talent. You could give him a rest, right? Give him a, a game or two off, but I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe don't play him against Newcastle. But the problem with dropping players when they're out of form is that if Part of the problem is that they're lacking confidence. It doesn't really help their confidence, does it?
1: No, I I don't see the point in dropping him. Just keep playing him. The quality's there. You have to extract it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, At Subdodo says, Is Keepy Uppy a good name for a puppy? Yeah, it's kind of silly. You know, if if you're wandering around town and uh, and you're shouting at your, your dog... That's going to be embarrassing, isn't it?
0: Keepy-uppy. It is. And the problem is, keepy-uppy rhymes with puppy, but it doesn't rhyme with dog. So, like, when the puppy grows up, the hilarious rhyme goes. Is it like a Labradoodle or something embarrassing like that as well? Labradoodles are awesome. God, this is worse than Coriander against Basil. Describing Labradoodles as embarrassing. They look like living teddy bears, the coolest thing ever. You're embarrassing. You're <laughs> embarrassing. Let's move on. At MDD underscore nine says, talking of embarrassing, if you were hosting a party and had to ask one of Wes Brown and John O'Shea to leave, who would it be? That is a difficult question because we've all seen the picture of the two of them at a party together with Michael Carrick. And I don't think you'd want either of them to leave a party. No,
1: I might ask Shazy to leave though because I'd be scared of Wes Brown. <laughs>
0: Yeah, maybe. OK, well, let's let's do a serious one. Let's do an interesting, serious question from at Nightwink 99 It says, do you think Ryan Giggs will beat Louis van Gaal's assistant next season? I think that's really interesting. There was a shot of them during that game yesterday. And I, I said on Twitter, they look like a couple that six months in have worked out that marriage is hard. And lots of people came back at me with obviously being married to Giggs. It would be hard. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: So I don't think uh, Ryan Giggs would make the decision to burn his bridges with United. Uh, I, so uh, it would be face-saving if he left and it would have to be for another job somewhere else. And the, and the party line would be uh, now he wants to move on to the next stage of his career and, and do some management. Um, now, would Van Gaal sack him and bring in one of his own men? Maybe... Maybe, I mean, it depends. The two of them do look like one of them farted in the lift, definitely. Uh, There's not a lot of hugging going on and they look a bit strained at times this season, but
0: maybe that's just the nature of the beast at the moment. They do talk to each other a lot and all the rumours earlier in the season was that Van Gaal was really, kind of, really enjoying working with gigs. So... I don't know, maybe they just look strained because United have been rubbish and because the things they're trying are not working. I think that's probably true. So, yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting, though. Uh, Talking of people leaving in the club-saving face, kind of a big step, really. I said last week that United are not a political club, but could become more political over time. And... um, I wonder whether Brian McClare leaving has got anything to do with politics. He took up a job at the Scottish Football Federation and Edward Wood said in the statement, you know, it's a fantastic opportunity for a proud Scotsman. And I was thinking, I'm not sure that's as good as a job at United, is it? So is this actually about something more complicated than it appears on the surface? Because Van Gaal has a history of changing clubs sort of in a root and branch way. And uh, it's interesting that McLear is gone, isn't it?
1: It is, although he has been at United for a very long time and an academy director for a very long time. So I think it's OK for him to say, I want to move on to a, a, a new job, you know, proud Scotsman and all that. like 30-odd times for, for Scotland as a player. Uh, he's done a terrific job at United, of course, although the production line of talent has, you know, ebbed and flowed over the years, hasn't it? I guess that's just the nature of the beast. So Van Hal can hardly complain about the amount of players that have been pushed into his first team squad from the academy this season right he's had lots and and they've been vital so any analysis of mclair says he's done a great job at united i'm sure he'll do a great job as technical director uh, with the scottish fa Uh, he's not going to have many raw materials in that job that's a tough one for him and uh, someone will come in but there have been quite a few moving parts of the academy anyway over the last three or four years with uh coaches coming in and out and changes to the structure a little bit so we'll see but you know United will attract a top youth coach to that position or
0: they'll fill from within yeah I mean he had an amazing playing career at United didn't he He was a key part of the sort of early Ferguson period and lasted into the kind of golden age really the beginning of the golden age uh, anyway and, you know, he was sort of a... He was a bit part player by that. It was more cameos and, and filling in and he played in midfield a few times and all that kind of stuff. But he is a proper United legend, I think. I think it's fair to give him that ridiculous sobriquet because... Because of the time that he then spent at the club, i mean he he 's never left right it wasn 't like he left and came back. he just went straight into coaching and stayed around the whole time and and you say he's done a a fantastic job as academy director. What is it that makes you say he's done a fantastic job like what's the what's the metrics that that make you say that about him?
1: The only metric that really counts, i suppose is how many you push through to the first team and and as I said, there's been an ebb and flow in that one over the years so he took up the job in two thousand and six ish and you know i wouldn 't say there was a flood of youth players in that time, but he's he 's overseen the structure that has allowed United to do very well at academy and under twenty one level and and it 's a very tough job getting youth players into the United first team because you know they have to be at, at an elite level and see that 's very rarefied it 's a pyramid. Uh, and um, not too many make it right to the top so uh, but he's he's put a very good structure in place at United um, he has a very good t- coaching team that's his job right as a director he's, he's not on the field coaching um, uh, and you know United have moved with the times generally speaking at uh, uh, youth level uh, and you know produce very good youth teams year after year now there are a number of people within the club who do want to make some changes anyway right so united brought in john Myrto from everton last season um, as a elite performance director and uh, you know as i understand it they plan to make some changes in the academy <laughs> System anyway, and this will allow them to do that. Um, my my feeling is that they'll bring in a new person for that academy role, but you know could be wrong there. They might promote from within, um, and you know they've got till the summer to do it. McLaren's not leaving straight away; he's uh, he's joining the Scots in um in june when the season's over yeah
0: um and i think the the other thing about it is you say it's a pyramid of that next level down from the peak making it into the united first team is the plethora of players that have been produced for other top clubs i mean right and and
1: united make a profit yeah of course of yeah so you know just as a line of business it's a very good line of business yeah, absolutely transfer market is such as a was a good um list going around from the uh, Football Observatory last week with the number of players in the top five leagues that have come from uh, the youth system. So United are sort of in the top 20 in in that list. So uh, right at the top was uh, Ajax have like 77 players playing in the top Uh, five leagues that's you know England, France, Italy, Spain, Germany that have come through the IX youth system and United are about half that 40 something at the moment so you know it's a it's it's a decent number not um, you know not the very top of European football but actually if you look down of the very top clubs um, United are very high in that list.
0: Yeah absolutely. Did any of that make any sense? Yeah yeah it all made perfect sense and it's it's true it's it's a it's something he'd you know, have had a lot of success at doing, and and it will be it will be interesting to see to see what happens next, and and the whole thing about Van Gaal and how long he's going to stay here and how much impact he'll have. This is the the problem with short termism in football. The key thing about Van Gaal, the key thing about his appointment is that if you give him the chance, he'll leave good foundations in a way that Fergie wasn't really able to because he just ran everything. <laughs> you know, obviously he didn't run everything, but, you know, because his tendrils went into the very fabric of that club when he left, it was such a culture shock that you couldn't, The, the transition's been a complete disaster. And also I think, The choice of, obviously, but anyway. um, But Van Gaal's got this long history of leaving clubs in a better state than he found them. And I feel like that's going to happen at United as well. So, uh, and not just on the pitch, but across the the whole club as a whole. So, on the pitch, we're travelling to another manager with a long history of leaving teams in a better state than he found them. John Carver at Newcastle. Oh, dear.
1: <laughs> what a state Newcastle are in at the moment. Yeah, I mean, their their form is, is such that they may even get dragged into a relegation battle. Beat Aston Villa. Um, I'm not sure that's saying much.
0: <laughs> that, uh, that that literally, literally doesn't count. You should not get any points for beating Aston Villa. No,
1: that's right. And the um, week before that got absolutely spanked at Manchester City. So bit a bit of chaos at the club and no idea where they're going. I mean, it's like clearly the uh, Mike Ashley, the owner there, is not willing to put the Megabucks investment in to turn Newcastle into a top team. They do get fantastic crowds at Newcastle. But if he's going to fire managers or push them out or be difficult to work with, then they're not going to make any progression and this is what you
0: get. But, you know, Alan Pardew was the manager for a million years right it was the longest if if Wenger had gone while Pardew was in charge he'd have been the longest serving manager in the Premier League so it's not like Ashley's doing a crazy managerial turnover thing it's just that you've got to be prepared to do the job on a shoestring because Ashley's got no genuine ambition for the club and it and you know like United fans hate it when, when people talk about Newcastle fans because because it's such a, a cliche and it was like in the late 90s they were kind of portrayed as the goodies and us as the baddies in the media in general, but but Newcastle fans that you know it's a, a one club city and they have a, a huge, massively devoted fan base. And it is a shame for them that they've got a, an owner with absolutely no ambition. I mean, you know, their natural level is probably upper mid table in the Premier League, right? And they punched above their weight for a bit and then they punched under their weight for a bit and. That's that's natural. But the kind of statistical mean is somewhere around 10th in the Premier League, probably.
1: And and it might well be, you know, they'd have to have a really poor last 10 games of the season or so to to get sucked into the, the bottom part of that league. So they will probably finish around mid table. But um, and maybe that's par for the course. Uh, it's just you've got all these fans who expect them to be something more than that. They've historically never been much more than that. Um, of course uh, and so you have this mismatch in expectation and ambition and there's no ambition from Mike Ashley to push them any further than that and that's what they're going to get
0: yeah so uh, what are we going to get on Wednesday night I guess we are going to get United having an awful lot of possession <laughs> maybe slightly struggling to make chances Newcastle have not are not a team that are set up to sit back and soak up all the pressure though are they so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see how how the clash works, and and they have got players who can do damage going forward, and. We've certainly got players that can allow teams to do damage going forward. Yeah, they they have. I mean,
1: you know, Sissé blows hot and cold, doesn't he? And um, uh, no Shola Amiobi, of course, anymore. Disappointing for all uh, fans of Paul's Shola Amiobi uh, Newcastle accent.
0: Sorry, did did somebody say Shola Amiobi? Some, somebody did. Um, <laughs> Sami Amiobi's still there, that's still quite that's good. That's true,
1: yeah, yeah. But, yeah, not not quite... I think Sholi Amiobi is the only man whose ac- who's whose name is a Newcastle accent. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
1: Um uh, they've got Obertan. He he's
0: still playing. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. She started against Villa. It's amazing, isn't it? He's still he's still terrible as well. <laughs> like well, maybe he's not terrible because he does still get to play, but I don't think I've ever seen him be that great. No,
1: no. So look, there's nothing that great in that team, Um, but they do have some attacking players um and they could cause united problems it's not as if united have a fantastic record on the road this season is it
0: no it's not i mean yeah i just i just i have no idea newcastle newcastle are a team that, that do have it in them to put together a good performance but they don't do it very often but they do like doing it against us don't they that is that is something they enjoy um so I'm not, like, dripping with confidence about this one. Sammy Amiobi, talking of the Amiobis, has, has been something of a revelation this season, actually. He's been a really important player for Newcastle after being kind of a, a somewhat of a joke when he was coming through the younger ranks because he's so kind of ungainly looking. It's been nice to see his football live up to his incredible social media output. Because he's legitimately one of the best. Like, you're not following Sammy Amiobi on Instagram. I don't know why you've got Instagram, you know.
1: I don't follow Sammy Amiobi... Ami I can't even say his name.
0: alone like, like, follow him. I don't follow Sammy Amiobi on Instagram. There you go. Now, that is a good tongue twister. I don't follow Sammy Amiobi on Instagram. I don't follow Sammy Amiobi on Instagram. Okay, it's not that good a tongue twister. Yeah, but Newcastle, like, apart from beating Villa and Hull, and they beat Everton just after Christmas... But apart from that, like they just haven't. Oh, they they beat Chelsea in the bit in the back in the glory Pardew days. Mm, so apart from all these good results, what have the Romans <laughs> done first? No, you know that no. that Chelsea game, that Chelsea game was the definition of a freak result, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: completely. And um, yeah, mid-table. What what can you say? It explains everything. They've got some decent players and a lot of dross in there, um, and they they're not playing super well at the moment but they're not in relegation form either you know two wins two draws and uh, two losses in the last six games I think they'll give United a decent game because the, the crowd will be up for it it is you know the cliched cup final for Newcastle they always try and give us a game United are pretty bad on the road still only those four victories in the Premier League away from home pretty you know very very second best home record in the league behind chelsea uh, mid table uh, away record unfortunately and that's that's what's held the club back this season uh, so it will be it will be a game and but you know you know you've got the tools to win this one
0: it will be a game <laughs> That is amazing analysis, Ed. You're right, though. It is undeniable. It will be a game. I I, I kind of think this is, this has a magnitude that some ROA games have not had, given where it sits in the fixture list. If we don't win this, we just set ourselves up for a very, very uncomfortable month ahead. If we win this game and then beat Tottenham at home, then the kind of Liverpool, Chelsea, Man City, swathe of games with Villa thrown into the mix doesn't look quite so intimidating. But if we draw this, lose to Tottenham, draw against Tottenham, you know, the, the these are real proper must-win games at this point. A draw is really... A pretty poor result I would say in this game but also it's very hard to see where a decent United away performance is going to come from because it's just been such a long time and I, I don't understand why we're so bad away from home because it's not like the system shouldn't work away from home I think it's I don't know. I, I think so much of our waveform is down to kind of lack of defensive solidity and the overcompensation that's that's there. Because I was thinking, uh, the fact that Newcastle are quite inclined to be an attacking side might be quite good for us because it might leave space at the back. But it also might quite be quite bad for us because they might just score loads of goals because we're not very good.
1: Well, United are definitely not set up to play on the break at the moment, right? So uh, it's just too slow. Although you know there are players in there that should be good: De Maria, Young, Yann. As I ought to be cracking on the break, but um, they're not set up like that. So it's all about the possession. So, and it very definitely does make a difference what kind of side you'll you'll face. And so Newcastle are a bit more open, and I actually think that will be good for United because when they uh, when their teams camp back into their own half. The two banks of four. It's it's uh, it's very difficult for United to break him down at the moment. It's one thing that Van Holme moans about all the time, but he just hasn't set up his team to counter that yet. So I, I don't think Newcastle being attacking uh, is um, is too much of a worry um, unless uh, you know the Chuckle brothers are at the back again and causing United defensive problems.
0: And then I just don't know how to even go about addressing the game we've got on the Monday night following because uh, we're going to do a podcast again after that. So the, the Arsenal game comes in between rank casts. We just always, always, always beat Arsenal. But at some point that has to stop working. Like we we haven't lost to Arsenal since 2011. The time before that was 2008. There's not that many draws even in the mix in that time. We are just very, very good at beating Arsenal. They play today, so we don't know how they're... they're, And and I think they've got a midweek game as well, so we don't know how their most immediate results will have affected their form. But the fact that they got humiliated in midweek uh, against Monaco probably means that they'll have tonked whoever they're playing.
1: Playing Everton on Sunday and then away at QPR in the week,
0: yeah. Yeah, so they'll probably come on the back of two fairly substantial victories full of confidence and will come on the back of a shaky one-all draw at Newcastle.
1: Yeah, but let's be clear. They were terrible against Monaco. Terrible. <laughs> I mean, it, it, funny in a way because, you know, hey, it's just good to laugh at Arsenal sometimes, but cathartic, I think. Uh, but they were really, really poor. And, uh, you know, it's a kind of performance that was so poor that it could affect confidence in, in quite a major way. So if Everton managed to pull off something at Arsenal, which is un seems unlikely because Everton have been pretty terrible this season. But, you know, I remember Everton going to the Emirates last season dominating possession and being, you know, unlucky in getting a one or draw. At the Emirates. So that kind of performance and it could uh, pile on the pressure on Arsene Wenger.
0: But the thing is that I I just don't buy any of that because if there's one thing Arsenal are good at, it's bouncing back from humiliating, rubbish defeats because they have so many of them that they then, then go on like three or four game winning streaks to make up for it and take all selfies of each other smiling in the dressing room and all that. Like Arsenal are a team used to dealing with global humiliation you know so I don't know they, they've they've been terrible before and then bounced back pretty quickly and also Everton last season and Everton this season we really are talking about two very different teams in terms of confidence and execution aren't we so
1: yeah we talk about balance with Lou van Halen a lot and it seems to be the thing that Wenger has struggled most with over the years the balance between attacking players and The defensive side of his game It's always the defensive side that seems to go first, you know. Just look at the list of players Arsenal have, you know, aside from Sanchez, Ozil, Welbeck, Cazola, Riziki, Walcott, Oxlade, Chamberlain. It's like a list of, you know, highly talented attacking players. Uh, And then you look at Mertesacker at the back and you just have a good chuckle, don't you? Because they are going to concede goals and uh, they are calamitous. And and when they're relying on recalling a player from Charlton in Coquelin, who's, you know, fine, great story and all that, but to be their sort of defensive linchpin in the centre of the park, then, then they've definitely got a problem. So, soft underbelly there. United could take advantage. Although, I wouldn't exactly say United are set up to give them a good kicking, which has been the tactic in the past.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the game at the Emirates... <laughs> Sorry, can't say, can't get through the phrase, the game at the Emirates this season, uh, without laughing. And Whenever I say the name of Arsenal's stadium, I immediately have a moment of self-doubt where I'm like, Did I get it right? Because I get confused between the Etihad and the Emirates. But Arsenal is definitely the Emirates, right? It is, yes. Yeah, okay, good, right. So, yeah, but that game was the funniest game this season by a long shot. We were absolutely battered for 45 minutes and then just were like, you know, just... Put uh, thumbed our noses at Arsenal and, and scored two classic goals on the break, but as you say, we're not exactly set up late on the break, that was uh, that was a game where he played Di Maria up front with Rooney I think, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if he does, no, that was Rooney in midfield wasn't it, and uh, Di Maria ahead of him but yeah, that, it'll be interesting to see whether we revert to a 3-5-2 in that game and just try and do the same thing again and hope it works the fact that we're at home maybe maybe changes that slightly, but the pattern of play in that game is going to be fascinating because there's no way we're going to have 75% possession against Arsenal. Although they have surrendered possession more often this season in the little run that they had before the Monaco game where they were playing pretty well and getting some really good results, including that uh, the excellent result they got at, at Manchester City. Um that was all about them surrendering possession and hitting teams on the break. So it'll be kind of interesting that there is a, a certain logic to say that Fenger's going to try that again against us and actually it could be really effective because we are we are so insanely vulnerable on the break.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, so has what, it been for the last 10 years? The tactic against Arsenal has been to rough them up a little bit and then take them out on the break. And, you know, it's two things that United... I'm not sure are capable of doing at the moment. There, there isn't a physical presence in the centre of midfield. We are set up uh, to just to retain possession. We don't play with any pace. Um, so maybe we'll, maybe we'll get this kind of reversal of styles um, in this game. Uh, United will keep a lot of the ball and, and Arsenal will try and put pressure on us with a lot of pace that they have. And Sanchez um, and Ozil and Welbeck are definitely there to... To you know, hit teams on the break and be very su- successful at it, so it should be interesting. Though that I think that um, makes this game a little more unpredictable than previous Arsenal fixtures. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I, I I really agree. So, talking of unpredictable, I think we'll call that a podcast, right? And and make some predictions for for those two games. We will. Um, one
1: moment of uh, just to pause and think for a second before we make those predictions. And just to say thanks to Dimitar Berbatov, you not only scored against Arsenal but produced a magic piece of skill, uh, doing the rounds on vines, of course, where he pulled the ball out of the sky and just, you know, silkily controlled it. And it just makes me think of Wayne Rooney when he does stuff like that, because if if Wazza had tried that, bless him, Bless him, it would have bounced 15 yards
0: off him. Like The uh, older listeners to RankCast will know there was a time when this show could just basically have been called the Dimitar Berbatov Appreciation Society. We are both firmly Team Berbatov, whilst not being blind to his considerable flaws as a leading-the-line striker. If you don't enjoy watching... Dimitar Berbatov play football, I simply do not understand. I feel like that probably means you... Maybe I don't. you don't really like art galleries and stuff, maybe. I don't know. He's not exactly a heavy metal footballer, is he? He's more of a, a Mozart Baroque concerto footballer. But oh, just watching him pluck the ball out of the sky, it's, it's enough to bring tears to a man's eyes. It certainly is. Anyway, uh, that, that aside, uh, predictions
1: for this week's game. I think United will... Newcastle and win and I think it'll be ugly so I'm going to call a 1-0 victory for United there and cup game I can't say I feel that confident but United's record at home is great so let's call it 3-2 ah
0: I'm really sorry everyone about this but I think we are good this I feel I feel like so kind of doom in making these predictions but I think we're going to draw 1-1 with Newcastle and I think we're going to lose 2-0 to Arsenal uh
1: well, I tell you what—if that happens, the knives will be out. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, Twitter is—is uh, is, uh, as I said, Twitter is not the real fan experience, and we shouldn't conflate the two. But um, people will go mental, and it worries me. Actually, uh, it worries me—the United's fans' reaction on uh, on social media spheres is getting all a little bit scouse.
0: Oh, it's 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 just out of control. That there, there is there is the absence of context is almost universal. It's like. Almost every response is devoid of broad context, and and if you remove context from your attempt to understand the universe, you're just not going to ever be right about stuff. You know, mm. a bit hard
1: to uh, put a lot of context in uh, 160 characters.
0: It's not that though. It's not that the it's not that the content doesn't have ca- context. It's that it's informed without any context. You know, it's like oh, Louis Van Gaal is like this because this is what this season has been like. I'm sorry, that's just not accurate, you know, this season has, anyway, this this would be a very long run, but think about broad context, people, it's important.
1: Very good, and on on that note, um, thanks for listening, Uh, sorry we've been a bit um, irregular in recent weeks, but uh, there you go, you're getting a Monday podcast, which has not been that often this season, despite our tagline saying iTunes every Monday.
0: (laughs) We don't know when the next one will be. <laughs> but it won't be next Monday because uh, we're going to record at some point after the Arsenal game um, we'll do our best to get you some regular podcasts and if you want to get hold of us in the meantime get me at utd rantcast. you can get Ed at United Rant. that's on Twitter please include context in your understanding whilst tweeting at us um, facebook.com slash Rant to get hold of either of us um, you can read what Ed has to write on unitedrant.co.uk some of the very finest United analysis on the internet you can read what I've got to write on the Bleacher Report where you'll find Beautiful listicle about Oleg on Solskjaer, which I highly recommend checking out, even though I wrote it just because the collection of YouTube videos it involves is magnificent.
1: It, it was a, a very, very good effort, mate.
0: I, <laughs> I, thought I, I enjoyed that one. Thank you. Even though I'm kind of morally opposed to listicles. <laughs> the other thing that I really wanted to plug is Scott from the Republic of Mancunia has put together an ebook called Made in Manchester, which both Ed and I have contributed chapters to. You can get it for Kindle or you can download it as a pdf i think the minimum amount that you can pay for it is five pounds but if you want to you can pay more and the reason that you'd want to do that is because all proceeds go to mill trafford um we did this before an ebook uh earlier in the year and and raised um an amount of money which brought tears to the eyes of the people at the Macmillan center so it's a worthy a very worthy cause and and also a, a pretty fantastic read there's some there's some awesome writers have contributed to that
1: yeah no, it's uh, it's very good stuff. So, yeah, if you were thinking of contributing thousands to the RankCast this week, don't. Uh, and buy that ebook book instead.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then donate thousands to the RankCast at unitedrank.co.uk slash donate. But no, don't do that this week. Uh, the, the, oh, yeah, uh, pick up that ebook book and, and get some quality United content for a brilliant cause.
1: Very good. Well, that's us this week. Uh, we'll be back after two fantastic United victories. Uh, or... A draw and a loss, depending on who you believe.